0: Good morning everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad you're here. Would you stand with us this fable? We're going to spend our time worshiping through song. So yeah. here Assim a to hear the church sing this morning. Great to be with you. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you're here. Would you take a moment, greet the community around you and students you're heading off to your program. Have a great time. Glad you were with us this morning.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ian O'Meara. I'm the director of Community Life. How many people have their bulletins? Go ahead, wave them around. If you turn to the front cover, you have our prayer connection card. We're a church that's rooted in prayer, and we're a church that believes we're better together. We're the body of Christ, and we work together for his purposes in this kingdom. So we take time in our service to just connect with you. We want to know that you're here. Even if you just jot your first and last name or you just put a little prayer request, that's all we need to know. That's all we, really, we want to pray for you. We want to know where you're, that you're here. If you have a big require, prayer request, throw that on there. If you have a small one, just throw it on. No prayer request is beyond being prayed for, but we want to connect with you. So we're going to take the next 15 seconds. If you look in the seat back in front of you, there's some pens. Just grab those, open up your bulletin, and fill out the information. In just a few moments, the usher is going to come by. And you could just rip out that prayer connection card, and you could fold it in half and put it into the offering plate. But the how many people are were taken by surprise that it's December? <laughs> I woke up Saturday. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's the end of the year. Well, there's, there's some excitement, there's some anticipation, there's, there's a lot of stuff going, a lot of celebrations are happening at this time of year. Well, we wanted to celebrate some of the stuff that's been going on in our community and at our church. We've had several events, but we want to highlight Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child is a ministry of Samaritan person. They bless kids all around the world with these gifts. And we, we see these videos where these kids are getting these gifts And they open them up, and they have no idea who Jesus is, but all of a sudden they hear that Jesus loves them, and they get this amazing Christmas present. Some of them don't even know what Christmas is, and it's our opportunity to partner with them. Well, here's some of the things that we did just here. We had 198 boxes donated between our church and the school. We had 16 uh, volunteers get together, give their own time during the week to pack over 950 boxes And then that contributed to Southern California, over 6,000 boxes. Can you imagine that? 6,000 boxes going to kids all around the world that probably don't even know who Jesus is. And they get this amazing gift. That's something to celebrate. Let's give ourselves a round of applause. Well, it is December, which means Christmas is right around the corner. We have our Christmas Eve service. It's Monday. Monday. Can you believe that Monday, December 24th. We're going to have two services here at 4:30 and 6 p.m. We'll have full Sunday programming, 9 and 10:45, or for some of us, 9:50 and 1050 or sorry, 9:05 and 10:50. Some people show up at 9:'50, I don't know. <laughs> but it's our opportunity to, to ask this question: Who are we going to invite to Christmas Eve? Who are you going to invite to Christmas Eve? We all work, we all live, we all play, we all have something going on during the day. Who are we going to invite? If you see me after the service, we'll have invitations for you. It's an easy invite. It's an easy save the date, a text. Who are you going to invite for this Christmas Eve? And then Sunday, December 30th, is going to be our end of the year brunch. Who doesn't like brunch? It's just me. I'm the only one who doesn't like brunch. I have my hand up. (laughs) I love brunch. I can eat Brenner all the time. Well, we're going to have all kinds of waffles, gluten-free and regular sausage. It's an opportunity to sit around a table and discuss with the people that you maybe you know or don't know what happened to you this year. How did God use you? How did you benefit his kingdom? What is he calling you to do in 2019? Wow, it's almost 2019. Can you believe that? So think about that. Mark, mark your calendars. There's going to be a brunch after both services, the 9 and the 1045. Come and enjoy some fellowship build some relationships, and celebrate what God's done for you in 2018. Well, this brings us to a time of tithes and offering. As the ushers come forward, it's our opportunity to reflect and think about what has God done through us and for us and by us this year? This isn't an opportunity to just like say, hey, look what I give. But it's an, it's an opportunity to say, Lord, thank you for blessing me. Lord, thank you for blessing me so I could bless others. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us in this life and that you continue to do for us. And every day we walk and we breathe in your presence. Lord, just continue to make us the light in the darkness. Continue to help us to, to be the gospel where we work, live, and play. Lord, we just thank you so much for this church, this body that you called here to the UTC area, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for how you're, you're equipping us, you're guiding us, you're, you're pushing and pulling us, and you're, and you're taking us into 2019, Lord. We just thank you so much for all that you've done and are going to do. We, we wait with anticipation for what you're going to do, what you're going to call us to. Lord, we just thank you and praise you, and we ask this all in your name.
2: Thank you, uh, please be seated. Is that not a haunting uh, tune? A powerful, evocative, uh, deep yearning, longing. Um, this is in response to the God who calls us to Him. Um, the great Shema, the great, the great uh, touch point for Israel. You see this in Deuteronomy six: Shema Israel, Yehovah Aronai Echad. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And this is the one God who calls us. And, but for him calling us, we could not find him. We could not know him. And so that one God calling Israel together uh, sends his prophets and makes all these wonderful promises to prepare them for what he's going to do to fulfill his promises. Uh, expectation is our theme today. As we begin uh, Advent, Advent, arrival, uh, we celebrate the birth of Christ at Advent. And in some ways, it becomes uh, less of what it is in our culture's celebration of it. Uh, We somehow manage with the most creative, artistic uh, ways possible to completely obliterate (laughs) this sense of yearning fulfilled uh, that that, uh, Advent represents. And so what we want to do is, in the midst of all the fun and frivolous cultural stuff, uh, we want to capture the profound stuff. We want to return to what is the meaning of Advent? What is it that allows us to sing this song? And even as we feel the yearning pouring out of our heart, the longing uh, that, that touches on so many things that touch our lives, we realize we're singing about something that has been fulfilled. And that's why we come back and celebrate it again and again and again. It's like celebrating a birthday. Uh, it's like celebrating an anniversary. Those become touch points, not just for a fun meal or a festive occasion, but for, for an opportunity to say, look at what God has done. I thank God for you, another year of you. I thank God for us, another year of us. So expectation is very powerful. Um, in fact, there's nothing more wonderful and life giving than having expectations. Would you agree? Because expectations would get you up in the morning going, what, what does this day hold? What am I going to do today? What am I supposed to accomplish? What what do I need to fulfill? What responsibilities do I need to keep? Uh, Seasons of life are filled with expectations. The first grader uh, walking off to school saying, this is big. This is very, very big. Uh, The the high school student uh, walking out to face uh, the the, the next chapter in life going, wow, this is big and kind of scary. Uh, The college student walking out and saying, this is definitely scary. I'm losing my primary sponsor. <laughs> Apparently, it's up to me. And so expectations are two-edged sometimes, but they are nothing but wonderful. Uh, you meet that, that special person, you think, could this be the one? And you're thinking, this could be the one, and they say, you're not the one. You go, oh. But you regroup your expectations to say, who is the one? And it goes on and on and on. So God has wired us for expectations expectation, uh, and life, uh, life-giving expectations that draw the best out in us, making us willing to risk, and uh, not to be reckless, necessarily, but to risk and to make ourselves vulnerable. <clears throat> There's nothing more deadly, though, than unexpressed expectations. Where expectations are fantastic, uh, unexpressed expectations can be deadly, that is the things I assume that you're supposed to do that you don't know I'm assuming you're supposed to do. Uh, in marriage, often, it's the assumption is, your job is to make me happy. Oh, I'm not happy. You're not doing your job. And, and this person's saying, hey, is there something going on? You know, the silence, the criticism, the anger, what's going on? Then, yeah, you're not doing your job. What job is that supposed to be, you know? And so unexpressed expectations are the sorts of things that we hold on to because but, but out of fear or pride uh, or, or the discomfort of owning our feelings and our pride, we don't express them and and they, they have a horrible effect. Unexpressed expectations are assumptions to which we attach our hopes for happiness. But left unchallenged, they can cause great pain. Left unchallenged, uh, unexpressed, they can cause great pain. Uh, I can tell you right now that Janet, Uh, wants a ranch in Bozeman, Montana, so if you have one you're not using. And the reason I know that is when we first got married, I said, so looking out to your life, what would you love to do someday? And she said, this girl from Newport Beach said, I would love to live on a ranch in Bozeman. I'm like, Montana? (laughs) Yes. They, oh, my gosh. And she said, where would you like to live? Uh, I'd like to live any place that I could fly out of Bozeman, Montana to, to, <laughs> to get to, basically. Uh, I would like to be adjacent to a large urban area that has all the amenities of modern life and look at postcards of Bozeman, Montana from that vantage point. <coughs> now, if you asked her, if you said, hey, uh, da- she's in Dallas, probably shopping for a ranch right now as we speak. Uh, but if you said, Janet, Steve said that you want to have a ranch in Bozeman, Montana. She would start laughing, and she said, well, yeah, kind of, but I pretty much passed on that. So we can laugh about the fact. Every once in a while, say, hey, how's the, how's the ranch in Bozeman coming along? And she'll say, oh, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. But you see the power of that. It becomes something we laugh, we celebrate, think out loud about. Versus 35 years ago, getting married, and, and one day uh, uh, she says, hey, so I found it. You found what? You know, the ranch. The ranch. What, what ranch? You know, the, my ranch in Bozeman? I found it. What? Yeah, the realtor's showing up at our house today. Like, what are you talking about? You know, uh, so this is the beauty of an expressed expectation It allows you to share something, to own something, to say, is that realistic or not? I don't know, but it's really fun to think about. So that if it does turn out to be the thing you want to do, you're not caught off guard. You're saying, you know, we've talked about this, prayed about this for a long time. Are you ready to pull the trigger and do it? Or, or we've, in the process of looking at that, that led us to other kinds of things that we'd rather do. Hey, what if we didn't go, sell our house and move to Bozeman, Montana? What if we signed up and served God somewhere, you know, for half the year and then came back to our small ranch in La Jolla, you know, kind of a thing? <laughs> the, power, the power of unexpressed expectations to, to make life hard cannot be overstated. I was at a social event, a very large social event, uh, in the past year, and and this couple came up to me, and it was a very elegant event, and and um, I, I said hello to them, and they had some friends with them, and the woman says to her friends, oh, this is Steve. He did our wedding 25 years ago, in, uh, almost 30 years ago in Newport Beach, California, and he said we wouldn't make it. I'm like, <laughs> And they, they look shocked, but she's pulling their chain of mind. She goes, no. He actually said, if we didn't work on these issues in our life and deal with these expectations that we had that were in conflict, we would not likely have a sustainable marriage. And so what we did, she goes on to make this a premarital session for her friends. What we did is we took that to heart. And Steve just said, if, you're, if it's a willing man and a willing woman, anything is possible. And so we started talking about our expectations and what we wanted in our marriage, and that's made all the difference. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, that's exactly what it is. It's, as you let those out and acknowledge them, uh, you can build a life that you otherwise couldn't get. Because if you don't, when things do go sideways, uh, you're looking for somebody to blame. Somebody's gonna pay. Now, getting to that point uh, of, of owning them is no less painful in some ways than, than holding them in, hoping somebody will uh, guess them and fulfill them. But it's a lot better. Uh, yes, it's hard to let go of them, these unexpressed expectations. But by God's grace, we name and own our feelings. We express our assumptions, and we stop blaming others for how we feel or don't feel. For our thwarted dreams, uh, our displaced visions. You see that power? And this is one of the scariest things we do, because when we start expressing our expectations, it could make us look foolish. What if it doesn't happen? What if you can't achieve that? This is why sometimes people don't want to talk about their faith, because they think if I talk to somebody about my faith, I'll raise expectations I can't fulfill. They'll expect me to be perfect. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. No, I'm not a Christian, though I do believe in Jesus and I am a hypocrite. Jesus gives me that privilege to believe in him and still be totally out of it at the same time. Uh, you know, so the idea is that by owning our expectations, we're being vulnerable. We're being honest. We're practicing humility. We're giving people a chance to give us feedback, constructive, critical, otherwise. In the First Testament, we, the Old Testament is, is really better called the First Testament, the first of two testaments that make the Bible. In the First Testament, we see the expressed expectation of Israel for Messiah, how did they get this expressed expectation for a Messiah? It was revealed to them by God through his faithful prophets. God created us, created us to be in relationship with him and to care for all creation. Uh, that went horribly awry. Uh, thanks to us, we forfeited the very thing that God entrusted to us and created us for. And it's been a, it's been a big headache and a heartache ever since. So God said, I'm going to be the source of the solution to restore you, to renew you, to redeem you. And so through these prophets, he was preparing them for this. So the people embraced that. Uh, now along the way, uh, they, become, they became discouraged, they become distracted, they became distrustful. Uh, but for centuries, they were, they were hoping uh, that God's revealed expectation uh, to redeem his people would come to pass. Can you relate to that? When you've spent a long time holding expectations, uh, counting on expectations, and them not coming to pass. Perhaps in your life with Christ, you said, you know, I've been praying and praying and praying, but these same, these same besetting sins beset me. These same, you know, habits or, or, or attitudes, I just keep having to deal with them. And how long, oh Lord, how long will I have to deal with them before I'm free and released from them? Uh, some of us harbor this myth that when we get to a certain age in life, life is going to be really smooth after that. I, I, I certainly thought that way. I thought, you know, in my, my chaotic family, I thought, oh my gosh, by the time I get into college, it's going to be awesome. So easy, so smooth. And then I, I kept upping it, you know, especially when I'm 30, man, it's going to be, all, I'll, I'll know everything by then. Um, and I did. Um, <laughs> I knew everything I thought I needed to know, and then as soon as I got closer to it, I realized there's about a zillion times more I need to know. And so it goes, right? But we relate to that, uh, if, if we're honest, that, well, how long, oh Lord, how long? I've been praying for this to happen. I've been praying for this to not happen. I've been praying for me to change, for them to change. I've been praying for this or that. And so the people of Israel were saying, yeah, we know you're sending a Messiah, but when? How long does it take? Of course, we see the resolution in in the New Testament, at just the right time, God sent his son. But the prayer for them uh, was expressed best in Psalm 13. How long, Lord? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Because I don't see the fulfillment of this promise to redeem How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. And so this was the occasion when Jesus, God in the flesh, enters the world. It was his long process of longing and yearning for God's fulfillment. And what we see is God keeps his word. At just the right time and just the right way, God always keeps his word. We'd like it to be on our timetable. It generally is not. Because if it's on our timetable, it won't be what it should be. It'll be underbaked, undercooked. Right now, you can get a really good deal on romaine. (laughs) You can own the market in romaine lettuce right now. But the timing might not be right. It might not be the right time to go out and buy all the romaine that is for sale at a very low price. Uh, The risk is just too great. So, you know, we're used to hearing about chronological time and kairos time. If you've been around church for very long, the idea of chronological time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, years, we measure time that way. Uh, Certainly God understands we measure time that way. He created time. But God lives beyond time. So God's point of view is from kairos at just the right time, in just the right way. He fulfills his promises. He keeps his word. And so we see in Jesus, he fulfills and confirms. F- fulfills and confirms. He, Jesus fulfills a lot of things, but he also confirms some things that are not yet fulfilled. There's more to come. There's more to come. We live in the now. It's real now, but not yet fully revealed as to what it will be. And what was, his, what was he coming to fulfill and confirm? Uh, that we will be healed and restored, this wound that we all share in common. Are there good people or are there bad people? Uh, yeah, all people have a wound, good and bad. And and God is going to heal that and restore that uh, now, but also ultimately. So when Jesus comes along, what we see is the fulfillment uh, of some of these promises. Isaiah 9, 6, 7 is... is An ancient prophecy that now is fulfilled in Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now you might say, well, how do these people assume that they can look back to something that happened hundreds of years before and say that's a fulfillment? This is the way it works. This is the way prophecy works. For the prophet and the people receiving the prophecy, they understand in part what's being revealed. In the fulfillment, and you've experienced this in your life many, many times, in the fulfilling moment, you say, oh my gosh, now I see, and you reorder the past. You've done this many times. You say, oh, that's what that was about. That's why that had to happen. Oh my gosh, yeah, oh, I get it now. You start to make sense of the past from the present moment of fulfillment. What wasn't clear on that side of fulfillment is now clear On this side of fulfillment that's what we see here in isaiah it goes on to say of the greatness of his government and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this that's an interesting phrase don't you think the zeal of the lord almighty That means that God's enthusiasm for you is greater than your enthusiasm for you. And by the way, the word enthusiasm means filled with God, entheos, living a life filled with God. Again, the, the right way to live with expectation, because the Lord in his zeal is saying, I am for you and I am with you. I have a plan for you. Not a cookie cutter plan, but a plan that will allow you to make the kinds of choices that allow your expectations to align with mine. We see in Isaiah 11, uh, another prophecy, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, Jesse, the the father of David. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That, That seems like an odd phrase to our ears. Do you, do you delight in the fear of anybody? No, because all people are imperfect and are prone to doing crazy things with their power and authority. But to be delighted in the fear of the Lord is to, is to realize there is one who lives in absolute perfection, perfect love, perfect justice, perfect peace, perfect compassion. It's so awe-inspiring and overwhelming. If I was to see him face-to-face, I would fall on mine in worship, in awe, in abject surrender. It takes what fear is in our fractured flicker world to the highest level of fulfillment, the kind of fear that you say, oh, my God. And he says, yes, my beloved child, it's me. So this is what Jesus personifies. This is who Jesus is. God in the flesh brings this to pass. So between the First Testament and the New Testament, a passage out of numbers became super important to the people of Israel. It might seem obscure to us, but for them, it became critical. Um, Why? Well, it was was confirmation by a non-Israelite prophet about God's promised Messiah. Uh, the wise men are another example of this. A non Israeli influence confirms what God is doing to fulfill the expectations of his people. Let that sink in for a second. God can use anything to confirm his prophecies, his will. It's not to say that all roads lead to God, all authorities who are outside of God's sovereignty, of course, nobody's outside of God's sovereignty. But to say that anybody outside of the belief that that you embrace, based on God's revealed will, uh, God can speak through anything and everything. And so you will find yourselves in circumstances here or around the world and in odd times, odd places, and you'll say, it's like God is speaking to me through this. Just like you've had him speak to you through a novel or through a movie, through a conversation. He spoke to the nation of Israel through a non-Israeli, a fake news prophet. And here's a story. Uh, the people are, re- are, are released from Israel, I mean, from Egypt, on the way to what, what we'd call Israel, the promised land. And so, figure 12, 1200 BC or something like that. I'm coming up with simple numbers to make it simple to keep in your head. And because they're whining and moaning about the change, because all of us like change, but none of us like to go through change. What should have been a very short trip became a 40-year odyssey uh, because the people who didn't like change kept saying, I do not like this change. Uh, And God said, fine, you won't have to go through it very much longer. And when when that generation died out, a new generation is now prepared to enter this promised land. Well, all these kings standing around saying, hey, they're on the way to the promised land. This is not good for us. Uh, they started attacking, and they were overcome by Israel. There's another tr- another group of people saying, okay, we're the last stand. They're not getting past us. And so this king, King Balak, B-A-L-A-K, uh, says, you know what? We've got to do something about this. Who do we go to? Who do we turn to? Ah, they're religious people. They listen to prophets. I know just the guy. He gets in touch with a guy named Balaam, who is a prophet for hire, a non-Israeli, a prophet for hire, very uh, persuasive, a charismatic person, apparently, because he's got a good track record, and he owns a donkey so he can travel. (laughs) And so the king summons him and says, listen, you've got to curse these people. And so Balaam takes the dough and says, thanks for the gig, and he starts trying to curse the people of Israel three times. And every time he starts to curse them, it turns into words of encouragement and praise. They become words of affirmation. Balak is not feeling like he's he's getting his money's worth. Uh, this is the problem with a service uh, provider. How do you know if they're doing their job? You feel like you're getting your money's worth, and he's not. Uh, and, and at one point, um, in trying to stop the people of Israel from getting into the promised land, uh, Balaam is involved in this nefarious scheme, and he's on his donkey, and an angel stops him from, entering, uh, from continuing this mischief he's up to. Well, Balaam doesn't understand what's going on, but the donkey will not move. And so finally, he's, he's beating the donkey, and the donkey starts to speak to Balaam. Uh, and, and it comes to pass that Balaam understands that the angel revealing himself says, it's only because of the donkey I didn't kill you, which I love. This is one of those little side notes. to think about it. His donkey saved Balaam's um, um, <laughs> Life. Life. <laughs> The donkey saved Balaam's life. So Balaam is a nefarious, scheming person. Why would you put any any uh, credibility in his word? Except that three times now he's blessed Israel, and the fourth time, Balak says, this is it. No commission, no bonus, unless you come through. And so this is the thing that then, from that time on, up until uh, very in that intertestamental period from like 400 B.C. to Jesus' birth, and then increasingly toward Jesus' birth, this verse becomes more and more and more and more and more and more on the mind of the people to the point that this becomes a catalytic verse in their head about God's fulfillment of his promise to bring a Messiah. So I'm telling you all this obscure history of Israel because it's profound. So Numbers 24 says this, and this is this is Balaam giving his own self-introduction humble as usual, and then telling us what he discovered. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. Yes, folks, it's me, Balaam, is what he's saying. Then he says this to the complete confounding of Balak, And to the complete and total affirmation and inspiration of Israel. I see him, but not now. I I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. What's Jacob's name? Israel. And he restates it in the next line. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A kingdom. The star is from God. The kingdom is on earth. Oh my gosh, that's a mark in the sand. And so, as, as, as the promises of God move toward fulfillment in Christ, this verse becomes one of the most uh, critical pieces in the psyche of Israel. A non Israeli pr- prophet confirms the promises of God. Again, the parallels when the wise men show up and you go, Where do these guys come from? How do astrologers get of an invite to the party for Jesus' birth. Uh, God works in mysterious ways. So this watchful, expectant awareness of Messiah intensified in the first century of Israel. By the time Jesus arrived, it was a deadly, serious issue for everyone in Palestine. We'll look at this in the next couple of weeks uh, when we talk about surprise and conflict. But today the question is this. Are you expecting God to work in you? Here's what it comes down to. Are you expecting God to work in you? This is not just ancient history that we dust off and say, that is so interesting. I had nothing else to do but sleep in on a Sunday morning. I'm so glad I'm here. All of this is meant to get our attention here and now, to say this is God's word to you. Are you expecting God to work in you just as he fulfilled these promises to Israel? Because the whole point of Israel was to be a portal to all nations. God didn't say I'm going to bless Israel. God said, in Genesis 12:2, I'm blessing this nation to bless all families on earth. So this is a word to you. Are you expecting God to work in you? If not, why not? Well, I'm not worthy. Uh, I don't know enough. I'm not really very religious. Uh, this is unfamiliar to me. Oh, I've had bad experiences uh, with faith and okay, great. but my question is this, do you expect God to work in you? All that's wonderful but irrelevant. ultimately, the only question that matters is, do you expect God to work in you? It's not because you're awesome or you deserve it or you know much about it. it it's just because he has zeal for you. Get over it. God has zeal for you. God likes you a lot. Are you expecting him to work in you? And, and, and then the personal response for you in this is, are you working to prepare for what God has for you? In the New Testament era following Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, uh, there's some amazing things are happening. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on people. Uh, there's some persecution and pushback. Uh, So there's people now pushed out of Jerusalem. One of them was Philip, one of the leaders of the church. He's walking along the road. There's a high official from Ethiopia who's been to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. He's in this huge chariot because he's reading. So apparently he has a driver in his chariot, like an SUV chariot. And he's reading uh, Hebrew scripture. And Philip is walking along and he hears this. He goes, excuse me, do you know what you're reading? Uh, You Ethiopian? Uh, and obviously he's, the Ethiopian sees he's talking to a true blue Jew, and he goes, well, no. Well, would you like me to help you? Yeah, jump on up and, and uh, help me. So they cruise along while Philip helps this guy understand the word of God to the point that God's spirit works in that encounter to the point that the Ethiopian eunuch, having now seen the fulfillment of God's promises culminating in Jesus from, from the testimony of Philip, he says, well, that's it, isn't it? Can I be baptized right here, right now? The Ethiopian eunuch, as he's referred to, this high government official, was preparing himself. We talk about salvation as as a work of grace, not a work of our effort, which is true. Our effort doesn't secure or win our salvation. But effort is not the opposite of grace, The opposite of grace in terms of a response to God is indifference. Therefore, the churches of America are filled with people who are indifferent. They're indifferent to God. They're not hostile. They're just indifferent. They're apathetic. How do you know? Is that kind of a harsh judgment, Steve? All I see is they're not making an effort to say, hey, the word of God is so central to who I am. I can't make sense of my job, my relationships, my participation as a citizen without the word of God at the heart of me. So are you working to prepare for what God has for you? Because if you're not, you'll never recognize what God is doing. You just beat the donkey. You won't realize that God's in it. I love this this phrase from our friends in Coronado. Make effort, not excuses. Make effort. That is to say, yeah, I bought a Bible, and I've been reading it. Man, I do not understand it, so I think I won't read it anymore. Uh, Excuse? Well, I bought a Bible, started reading it. It's really hard, so I asked my friend who reads the Bible if they would help me. Ooh. See the difference? Yeah, I went to a church, and they were kind of weird people, so I don't go to church anymore. Oh. You might have been looking in the mirror. Are you sure you were going to church? You know? Yeah, so I, you went to that church and you filled with weird people. Well, did you try another church? Oh, no, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, try another church. Yeah. And if that one doesn't work, try another church. There's a lot of churches. There's like 300,000 of them in America. You got a lot of options, man. Don't settle for excuses. Expectant parents give birth to new life. Expectant parents give birth to new life. They are preparing to welcome a life, whether it's out of the womb or through adoption, one way or the other, if they have been confirmed and called in their heart to be parents, they're gonna figure out how to do it. Likewise, expectant disciples give birth to new life too. They expect God to work in and through them. Do you? It's not hubris, it's not arrogance to say, I expect God to work in me and through me. It's your gift because of his zeal for you to say, yeah, wow, who knew, I guess, I guess I can expect that. I can expect God to work through me. I can't wait to see what he's gonna do. I think I'll do some things to put myself in, in play. I'm going to start reading his word and trying to figure out what's going on so I'll know the signs when I see him show up. I, so I'm, I'm talking to people who seem to know him pretty well. They're super helpful to me. I'm doing some things that bring me uh, in touch with what he's doing in my life because I went to a counselor. They processed with me some of the stuff I'm, I'm working on that is, gets in the way of my relationships with God and people. Hey, I showed up at this build with Habitat. Uh, And and, and I started working with people. And after a while, the project was cool and everything. But what was even better were the people I started talking to on the project. And I feel like I'm being drawn into a community. And then I went to this thing where all these women stood up and told their story. That made my story make sense. And I went with these guys on this retreat. You know, it, it goes on and on and on and on. That's your birthright, your legacy in Jesus. This is his revealed expectation for his disciples. Well, I'm not a disciple. I'm not qualified yet. No, you believe in Jesus and say, I'm in. I'd like to walk with you and get to know you. Now you are a disciple. You're a very baby disciple, but you are a disciple. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the horrific cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We see Jesus had expectations too, expectations of life, love, joy, and peace for us. He has expectations for you. He has expressed them. It's no secret what he wants for you. He wants you to know his love and his grace one day at a time, forever and ever and ever. He articulated this through his ministry. John, the, the, the apostle John records this. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Life that begins now goes on forever. And I will raise them up at the last day. That is, nobody can take them away from me. Nothing can separate them from me and my love and grace for them. Another place, uh, Jesus is talking to one of the great leaders of Israel who can't figure out what in the world is God doing. And, And Jesus answers him, saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. but to save the world through him. Every time I pick up a paper these days, it seems like the media is saying, oh yeah, Christians, especially those evangelical-type Christians, all they want to do is condemn the world. And it's, it's, it's fake news. It's misinformation. What I'd love to hear some reporter say is, you know, these evangelical Christians, uh, I, I don't agree with them. I don't like them. I actually don't know anything about them. I've never talked to them. But besides that, They say what they want, more than anything, is for the world to be saved. And they think God is the source of that. Would that be a better message for everybody? It opened up a bigger, better conversation. So we see that Jesus' disciples are simply people who align their expectations with his, expressing them in word and deed. And so we get to join God in his mission to the world. It doesn't mean you have every question or doubt resolved. It doesn't mean that your theology immediately uh, syncs with everybody else's theology. It just means we're co- together, aligned around Christ. I had a dinner. I was at a dinner last night with a bunch of guys, a bunch of go-for-Christian guys I've known for a long time, all kinds of ages and stages and professions. And Anyway, we, we, we just love each other. It's a great group of guys. Man, you would have thought there was a fight going on as we were trying to talk about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in our culture. Man, you had every aspect of the political spectrum represented, every assumption, uh, opinion. It was, it, you know, um, uh, thankfully nobody was armed. <laughs> Though it got a little profane at points, you know, um, in, in 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 that playful guy sort of way that women go, "Really? Seriously? This is what you do?" But we are aligned together in Christ, even if we don't always agree on everything. See, that's the power. Of what God is doing in His work in the world, and invites you to be a part of that. So here's here's the here's the the um, big points, the, the the bullet points, the the uh, the headline of all that I'm saying today. Being Jesus's disciple means living expectantly by faith. Faith just means I do stuff that Jesus does. I do stuff that Jesus said we should do. I'm expressing and articulating a way of life that I think aligns with Jesus. It's new to me or it's very familiar to me, whichever word it is for you. But I live expectantly by faith, not passively by making my unexpressed expectations my standard. Being Jesus' disciple means living empowered by his Holy Spirit. This is not a self-improvement program. All of our efforts aren't to say, stand back, God, I can handle it from here. Our efforts are simply to agree with and cooperate with God's power in us it, the Christian life is impossible but for the Holy Spirit. It's not a human endeavor to which we ask God to, to weigh in on occasion or to give his blessing to. It's God inviting us into a relationship with him. The one God of Israel, the Shema Israel, the Lord is one. says, but for me inviting you in, you wouldn't know how to find me. So it's the Holy Spirit that makes this possible. So we say, Lord, in your spirit, what do you want to teach me? Lord, through your spirit... Can I find the strength to do what I believe I'm supposed to do? Do you have a really burning question like, I don't believe in God and I can't imagine ever believing in God. Who's going to convince me? That's a good burning question. It's not any a question that most human beings can answer for you. But if you're honest, you'll say, God, in your Holy Spirit, if you are really who you say you are, would you help me as I'm honest and open to you to have resolution of these questions I have? Otherwise, you're going to use these really wimpy, immature, babyish excuses to not deal with the God of the universe. It'll be rebellion from your mom and dad. It'll be acting out because somebody you knows a Christian and you don't like them telling you what to do. Get over that kind of thing and get real about you because all that matters at that moment is you. Lord, if you are Lord, speak to me. If it's in your word, if it's through your people, I want to be humble enough and honest enough to listen to you through them. You see the power of that? You're taking responsibility for your spiritual growth. You're not blaming or laying it on somebody else. So the Holy Spirit will help you to become a disciple.
1: And then again, you
2: do need the encouragement of God's people because we can't do it alone. This is why being in a powerful community isn't a powerful community that tells you what to do and think. A powerful community is one that loves you powerfully, accepts you powerfully, encourages you powerfully, says, you know what, you're you're telling me you feel like an atheist today? Man, I felt like that too. What's making you feel that way? Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. You see the power of that? To be free to be you in a community? I had no idea that a community like that existed before I knew Jesus. The communities I knew, as attractive as they were and as fun as they were to be a part of, were always about image management, living up to everybody's expectations because if you don't, man, you're out. Finally, being Jesus' Jesus' disciple means living equipped, that is, with skills in place, in hand, to bless people everywhere. See, as we start to get real about his word, this is who you are? As we start to get real about who we are, uh, this is who I am and why I feel the way I feel? Hmm." And as we then start to say, what are the tools that are available to me? Reading the Bible, prayer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, I noticed that a missional impact, an impact an impression on the world comes out of who I am. Wherever I go, things become better. Good things can happen. People feel comforted. Sometimes they're confronted. This is what a disciple does. They're equipped to bless people everywhere without regard to that person's worthiness of the blessing. We're called to love and bless people no matter who they are and where they are. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say, well, they don't really deserve that deserve what? Well, first of go to do those great things for them. I'm thinking, are you out of your mind? <laughs> That's the whole point. None of us deserve this. If we got what we deserved, it would be horrible. But the good news is Jesus says, none of you deserve it, but I'm going to pour out my love because I'm zealously in love with you. Yes, I have standards. Yes, there's justice. There will be judgment. But my grace is sufficient. And so we give it away. We give it We squander God's grace in the sense of saying, you need it, we'll give you what you need. This is the power of being a disciple of the living God. So I want to ask you, are you ready to live expectantly? (laughs) If so, you must be a child. Not childish, not naive, but open, curious, teachable, Look at that kid's resolve. All of two, and he's going, I'm ready to live expectantly. He's so confident he can ask us the question, are you? If this kid can, you can. Lord Jesus, I pray like this kid, we could learn to live expectantly. Not to live up to one another's expectations, but together, to be expectantly open to what you have promised to do, that you have done and what you are doing, that, Lord, your grace is sufficient, your love is enough. So I pray, Lord, that we would be compelled by your Holy Spirit, by the encouragement of your people, to take that next step wherever we are, uh, back to each other in our marriage, Uh, back to each other in friendships, out into the world to serve and to bless people in your name. Perhaps that next step is to open our minds and stop defending against small ideas. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you'd give us the freedom through your Holy Spirit in us to be honest and humble enough to say, teach me, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he, he blessed it and broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a word of expectation. He was raising our expectations about his place in our life. In the same manner, having taken the cup, he blessed it and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, raising the expectation That he is more uh, than an interesting prophet, a charismatic person. He is God among us. And so these are not just symbols. This is substantive. Uh, We believe that Jesus is not contained in these elements, but he's present in them. And works powerfully through them. So as you come forward, wherever you are in the room, to receive communion, you hear words like this, this is Christ's body given for you. It's his gift to you. The expectation you can take from that is he is for you and with you, as you respond to him. Likewise, you hear words like this: "This is Christ's blood shed for you." Take some of the gluten-free matzah and, and dip it in that cup and eat it. If you don't believe in Jesus, we're not coercing you to do this. Uh, we're saying if you open your heart and your mind to Jesus, he welcomes you and invites you to receive this. This is called the Eucharist; means we give thanks. It's called the Lord's Supper. Uh, because he initiated it. Uh, It's called Holy Communion because it opens up a portal into a life-changing relationship with the living God. So those of you who are receiving communion, would you come forward uh, or serving communion, come up right now as I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would touch us deeply, move us profoundly as we reflect on your love for us, your grace for us, your sacrifice for us. Uh, Prompt us, Lord, to come forward to receive this sign of your presence within us, to receive this sign of your promise made to us and fulfilled through you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: To thy glorious throne, by thy non sufficient merit, raise us to.
2: So lift your hands in expectation. Lift your hearts in expectation. Lift your eyes, your mind in expectation. And what will you discover? That God is enough. God is what you need. That God is the one who will bring those expectations together in a way that will honor and glorify him and bless you and people through you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.